Alright, it's Chandra with the Contemporary Horsemanship Podcast, and today I wanted to talk about shutdown horses. So, you can hear that term sometimes, just like if you're on the internet or watching a training video, but I want to really describe in detail what a shutdown horse is specifically, because sometimes people will use it and that's not what it is. Um, you see it a lot in just everyday horses a lot of natural horsemanship trained horses are shut down a lot of show horses are shut down just a lot of horses in general and so I'm going to talk about like what to look for and how they get there and all the details of it so basically I'm just going to go with the definition so um the basic definition that I found was um, when a horse can't deal with things going on in its environment or to itself it's a coping mechanism and the horse shuts down. So either there's too much stuff going on, the horse doesn't know what is expected of them, or the horse is scared of its environment or the consequences of its behavior. Um, maybe the the trainer will just punish it no matter what it does. It, that's where you get a lot of shutdown horses and then you end up getting into learned helpness, helplessness, which I'll talk about more later in here in a second. So the horses have tried different behaviors, but maybe none of those behaviors worked for the horse. So maybe the horse tried walking away from you and you grabbed its lead rope and brought it back to you and the horse still doesn't want to be there. So he, or he doesn't want to lead with you. So he just stands still and you drag it closer to wherever it doesn't want to be so it's tried those behaviors it might just shut down and follow you and then not pay attention to its environment whatsoever so the horse stops learning it starts engaging and it starts trying to protect itself and then rather than fighting it just completely shuts down the outside stimulus and this happens in people too people can be shut down people can like a lot of people who have some kind of trauma will just not pay attention to the outside world they're just kind of in themselves that's kind of similar to a horse that's shut down so I'm trying to make it similar to the human experience where you've just had too much and you just can't deal with it all and you just not you don't pay attention to anything so it's the same kind of thing with horses so with this type of training or this type of end result of the training the horses don't learn to be relaxed and they don't process the training they're tight and they're tense but they're internalizing it all so it can be really easy to just see this type of horse and be like oh yeah he's calm he looks fine because a lot of people don't read horse body language they don't read it correctly they only see the extremes of it and they're like oh yeah he's fine he walked by it and he's fine but those type of horses who are shut down, they're not engaging with their environment. So they're not flicking their ears. Their eyes will look dull. They're not investigating things. They're not trying to interact with you or with their environment. They're just a robot. They're, they're just going through the motions. So um, the dangerous part of that, though, is that you won't know when your horse has had too much. So a horse that's already shut down is over threshold. That horse is already past the point where he's really worried and he's not learning anymore. But you can continue to add on to that and then the horse, that shutdown horse could explode. So you can see that a lot. A good example would be 
Um, if you see a video somewhere where someone's saddling a horse and there's usually like oh, at least one or two people and they're holding, one's holding the horse by the halter, the bridle, the other one's saddling the horse and the horse is just standing there. Nothing's moving. The ears aren't moving. Usually the neck is up. He might have a hind leg cocked. He might not. And they t- put the saddle on the horse and then they let the horse go and it blows up. That's the best description I have of that and there's different levels to that but most of the time when that's happening that's you're you're seeing a shutdown and then you're seeing that explosion and that can happen in very different ways it can be you know your horse is on a trail ride and he looks pretty calm and then a little thing happens and he blows up the shutdownness is dangerous because a lot of people don't see the signs of it they think their horse is quiet and fine and then something happens that they might not even recognize and then the horse bucks or it rears or it runs off because it's just it tried to like block out the world but it was just too much so um that's the most dangerous part and it's just it's not good for the horse mentally physically either because they're just spending their life as a robot they're not engaging they're not interacting they're just there the lights are on and no one's home and that's not a good way for the horses to live either. So we don't want that. Um, some behavior that you could see that your horse might get, start becoming shut down is your horse is tight in the body and that could be different muscles. It could be all, all the muscles. Um, your easiest ones to see are going to be in their neck. So their neck should be, is going to be tight probably. It's going to be lifted up above the weather withers. Um, those are going to be your easiest signs. Your horse might have a level top hind and have a top neck as well, a tight neck as well. So if that horse is just really shutting out the world, he might have a level neck, but his, his muscles might be pretty tense. Um, but he might carry that tension somewhere else. So it might not necessarily be his neck. It might be his shoulders. It might be his hindquarters. It might be like his belly. Um, you can also see it in their face. So it's really easy to see around their muzzle, like if their lips are tight and they're they're like shut, they're sealed. Uh, you could see wrinkles um, in the corner of their mouth. They'll have the line of that tendon in their face, like between their muzzle and their nose. Their nostrils could be tight or flared or uneven. Any of that to where they're not loose and relaxed is going to give you a sign that they're tense. Um, ears not moving or just like tip back and not moving. They could be tip back, they could be forward and not moving, they could be to the sides and not moving. Just not moving is the important part. And your horse's ears aren't going to move all the time, but they should move in accordance to like their environment or to your interaction. So if I'm riding my horse and I pick up on a rein, his, if I pick up on my left rein, his left ear should flick. If not, he's either looking somewhere else or he's not paying attention. So those are important. It's the same thing when you're on the ground and you pick up on the lead rope, he should look at you. He should interact. He shouldn't just go with you and have no reaction whatsoever. Um, the tail is going to be similar. So it's probably not going to be swishing. It's just going to be there unless it's summertime and there's flies out. It'll be swishing, but he's not going to be ringing. It's not going to be going up and down. It's just kind of there or just getting the flies. Um, The bottom of their chin can be really round and tight. That one can be a little bit tricky because it's usually underneath. You know, you're not paying attention unless you're bridling or something that the chin is tight. Um, Your eye could be wide. Um, or it could have the little wrinkles above it. That's another tell that your horse has got some tension. Um, the hind leg could be t- cocked, just like I said before. That's not always a necessarily a sign of relaxation. That could be a sign of tightness. He might be ready to escape. He might be ready to kick out. So there, those are the biggest behavioral signs that they're shut down. 
And shut down doesn't necessarily mean stopped. So that sounds like we, we attribute that to the to that we think of it like that because you know you shut like shut down like breakdown like your car's not working so your horse is not that he's not working and not just standing there and freezing which does happen but they can also be moving and being ridden and stuff and still be shut down as well so that's important um because the horse can be just going through the motions and being ridden um and then that other thing could just set the horse off and then you could end up with the bolting and the bucking and that kind of a thing. But I see a really good example of a shutdown horse being ridden is going to be um, just probably a show horse. Um, and it's just, it's basically a robot and it just, it does its what it's supposed to do. And then it, it goes with whatever. It's not interacting. It's not doing anything. So you see that a lot, not just because, not because shows are bad or anything, but because there's a lot of things going on at shows. There's a lot of people and horses and sounds. So it's very, very easy for a horse to be over threshold and get into that shutdown state at a show than it is at home. So that's where you're going to see it a lot. And also the other thing is people want to take the horse to a show. They want to do well. So they're okay with the horse just being shut down because they are probably a little bit easier to deal with. They're not paying attention to all the things around them. So you can see them just, um, just going through the motions and, you know, not really engaging very much, but you can see it there, but then you could see a blow up out of nowhere as well. So your horse looks okay on the outside and then you know, all of a sudden you go in the end gate and he's rearing up because he doesn't want to go in and he just didn't show you any of those other signs because those signs had been ignored in the past. So that's a good example of a horse that's ridden and shut down. You do see a lot of ones that are just not moving too. So, but they can happen in any environment. Um, it's going to be definitely an environment with pressure though because something has to call, cause this. So it's going to be training environment, riding environment can happen at home, can happen in trail but it is really easy to happen at shows just because there's so much going on. So my other things I have for this is how to tell if your horse is shutting down. So horse will stop responding to cues and aids. So that could be your leg. It could be a spur. It could be a whip. It could be a rein aid. It could be all, all, the halter. It could be all kinds of things. So just non-responsive is not good. So I think a lot of people have thought that it is good it is not good <laughs> um we don't want that so um because it can be really it's really really hard to untrain a horse who's just like dull to your like if you've ever ridden like that old lesson horse who you can kick and kick and kick and it's just not gonna change its speed that's what I'm talking about um and it could be to any of the aids but it's just not gonna happen so um the horse is also unresponsive to sim- stimuli. Just that could be a false bomb proof horse. Like it just doesn't respond to anything. That's not good. Now, I'm not saying I want my horse to run away as soon as I whip out the tarp. That's not what I want. I want to systematically desensitize my horse to objects. But you should see that your horse is interested or he's slightly worried and you notice that and you take steps backward. He should have some emotion or some thoughts about the object or the the situation that you're putting him in. He shouldn't just be not doing anything. So when a horse becomes shut down and say 
so a good example of this would be flooding. So you see flooding a lot in just, unfortunately, horsemanship is a general. Um, we see that a lot. So, and I used to do it a lot. I didn't understand it. Now, you know, you, you know better, you do better. But um, a good example of that is going to be desensitizing. And I'm going to describe it. So it's not all desensitizing. It's just these certain scenarios. So flooding is when a horse is exposed to something and that scares him and he is prevented from escaping. So say I'm desensitizing my horse to the lunge whip. He's afraid of the lunge whip going over his back. So I have him on the halter and I'm holding him with my left hand and I'm tossing this lunge rope over his back with my right hand. And he doesn't like that. He's afraid. He starts to walk away, but I have him on the lead rope. So I stop that. So I've, I'm interrupting that, excuse me, that behavior and I'm going on and continuing to desensitize him. So I'm not stopping the, the, the desensitizing, the scary stimulus. Um, and I'm also restraining him and continually exposing him to that scary stimulus until he is not responding to it anymore. So usually you see that if I'm continuing with that example, I'm continuing to toss that lunge whip over my horse's back. He's moving around. He's moving around. I keep doing that until he stops and he stops doing it. And then I stop chasing him with it basically. So he's learned that escaping does not work. So this can be an example of anything. Saddling, just like my other example, I talked about that. Um, you can see it a lot with desensitizing. When you tie anything to a horse, you're flooding it. The like I see a lot of tying tarps or tying water jugs or whatever it is. Do not tie anything to your horse. It's a really bad idea to begin with. But um, you're, you're flooding your horse. So let's say I tied a tarp to my horse and to, to his saddle on my horse and I put it in the round pen. So he's going to probably stand there for a second and be like, what the heck is this? So he's going to freeze. Then he's going to run away because that's their instinct is to go into flight mode. He's going to run off. And depending on my horse, breed, age, all these other things, he's going to start running around. And depending on all those things, it depends on how long he's going to run for. So most of the time, I'm going to say in general, my horse is probably going to do 10 or so laps and then it's going to stop. Just the general horse. If I have a quarter horse or a stock type horse, that's probably what's going to happen. So he runs for his 10 laps and then he stops and he freezes and he's like, holy crap, it's still there. And I ran away and it didn't work. So your horse might turn and try to run the other way, or it might just start shutting down and thinking that, okay, no matter what I do, it's not going to work. So he might try other behaviors. He might rear, he might kick out, he might jump and it's still not going away. So he's like, okay, no matter what I do, it doesn't go away. So now you flooded the horse and it's going into learned helplessness. Like whatever I do, I cannot get it away. So I'm just not going to do anything. So that's where you start getting shut down and start getting learned helplessness. Learned helplessness is when the horse overall doesn't try anymore because throughout the training, nothing's working. So they're just not going to do anything. That doesn't always happen though. So another example, if maybe I have a thoroughbred or something hotter on the hotter side, or if I have a wild Mustang, things can go bad fast. So that's why I definitely don't want anybody tying anything to a horse. But um, instead of that normal, what you would call a normal reaction to this, to where he runs 10 laps and he stops, my thoroughbred might run 30 laps and doesn't stop until he's completely exhausted or has hurt himself. So we don't want that either, but that it can definitely go that way and go bad fast. 
So um, I think that's why we see a lot of quarter type horses, a lot of stock horses, a lot of even just, you know, warm blood horses that are not as hot being successfully, I'm going to say that lightly, um, trained with these methods because they do end up giving up. The ones that are harder to train, which, you know, considered harder, Arabians, thoroughbreds, hotter horses, they they don't shut down as fast. They still have that, that um, not necessarily exaggerated flight response, but compared to the quarter horses and, and the colder type horses, yes. So he might run 30 laps and then just be completely physically exhausted and stop. But you're not teaching your horse anything whatsoever. He's just physically exhausted and then he stops and then you take it away. So that's not good for anybody. Like, especially physically and mentally for that horse that just ran 30 laps. That's not good. You could, he'd easily hurt himself and he's not learned nothing good. He's learned that when he's completely exhausted, he'll stop. So that horse might next time come out and run less and stop but he might just continue running every single time. That's where you get those horses that they've been saddled and then thrown in the round pen to run around until they stop. He's still afraid of that saddle. You've never worked him through and and made him accept it. You've just been like, okay, well, it comes off when you've stopped running, but he's never gotten over the fear. You've never communicated to him that it's okay. He's now just associating that saddle with running and, and scared behaviors versus calm behaviors. That's why you get those horses that they're always cold backed or they're always afraid of the saddle and they, Oh, we ride him for 20 minutes first and get all the bucks out. And then he's fine. Like (laughs) that's where you get all those problems from. So, and then the other extreme, which you've probably also seen on YouTube or TikTok or something, um, is the Mustangs who, or not necessarily Mustang, you probably see it commonly with them, but another horse that maybe has a higher escape or fight, um, just, instead of flight, they go to those things. And that's where you see with the same scenario, if I've tied something to my Mustang saddle and thrown it in the round pen, you see a horse running through the round pen, jumping over the round pen, um, kicking out, rearing, um, those kind of things. And those are also terrible, terrible things because it's very dangerous for both you and the horse and nobody's learning anything good from it. So those are the big, um, crazy things that can happen in that scenario, but it kind of gets the point across of what flooding is, um, how learned helplessness works. Um, those horses that don't stop, um, have not shut down. So they're, they're just going until they're completely exhausted. They might come out the next time and could continue to repeat that process if they're a hotter type horse, or they might eventually shut down. So that kind of depends. Um, or they might start shutting down. So maybe the first day I saddled my new thoroughbred, it ran around 30 laps, I took the saddle off. Maybe the next time, the next day I put the saddle on, he runs 15 laps and I take it off. So I'm slowly and slowly shutting that horse down and showing him that no matter what he does, it doesn't matter, it's not going to go away. So that's not a great thing that we want our horses to learn when I want him to safely carry me around and I've taught him that he just can't escape things. I want him to be completely comfortable with everything that's on his back and everything that I'm asking him to do so that he can do that confidently and safely and not just be scared and have those flashbacks to the beginning of when I started this process. So that's why it's important. So that's just one 
example of that. Um, another example of a horse that is starting to shut down is one that's standing still, but it's it's not really breathing a lot. It's, it's maybe it's just not that relaxed, slow breathing. Um, they look guarded. They might they again like the tension I described earlier. They're gonna have that tension. Um, and those horses are gonna start to wanna leave and and then if they can't leave, it can't escape, they might revert to fight behaviors. So that's another thing. Um, horses that unexpectedly overreact. So that same thing that I described with the tying to the saddle or the saddling where they just blow up. So a good example is going to be that saddling where they stand there and they're just, you know, you're holding them there and then you let them go or even before they let or let go and they just like bronk up on you and all four feet are off the ground and we're kicking and and things are going crazy and that can go the other way and they can lunge out at you they can strike at you they can bite you it can just go really really fast so really bad really fast um then the um couple other things are horses that just avoid you completely they're not trying to pay attention to you at all like they want you to leave them alone so um, some good examples of that are going to be like horses that don't want to be caught. He's just avoiding you, um, doesn't want anything to do with you. And the other thing about how this can happen is um, when you are, say when I've decided I'm going to train my horse and I did that last scenario and I've put the saddle on and I trained him like that and he ran around and he got used to it. And then maybe now I've tied a tarp to his saddle just to do more desensitizing, you know, and, um, and he was terrified of that. So he might start associating you with all the bad things, which he most likely will. Um, that's where we get all kinds of things. If your horse doesn't want to be caught, there's, you're doing something wrong because the training is not fun for him. He's not participating. He's not enjoying it whatsoever. Um, but that's another (laughs) episode but yeah, so they'll start not wanting to be near you, not wanting to pay attention to you, avoiding you. Um, a lot of times, like you'll see horses like in stalls not wanting to be caught and they're turning away. Those are giving calming signals that they don't want you near them. They don't want any trouble though either. They're, they're just saying, oh, I don't really like this. Please leave me be. Um, and then that gets taken as um, just, oh, he wants to kick me. He's being disrespectful and it just goes the wrong way. So um uh, we don't want any of that. If you have your horse and maybe he's on a halter rope, um, another thing about halter ropes and halters in general, I have no problem with halters. I use a halter all the time. Um, I would, though, work my horse, work your horse sometimes just at liberty because when the halter comes off, the truth comes out. Um, so sometimes just, especially with domesticated horses or ones that's been ridden a lot, um, they know they're caught once that halter's on. So I like to do a lot of training just at liberty. So take that halter off, see what they really think about this, and then I can better solve whatever problem I'm working on or better train my horse. I like doing it that way. I like to make them feel better about it versus, oh, well, I'm just going to force them to do it with the halter on. So I do recommend doing some liberty work safely so that you can really see how your horse feels about certain situations. But um, just in general, like some horses will know they're caught and they will just, once the halter's on, they'll do whatever. As soon as it comes off, like they're just leaving town. So that's another, um, thing to think about. Um, and then 
if the horse, back to my, what I was talking about before I went down the halter side road, is if I am got my horse, he knows he's caught, he knows there's nothing he can do when he's got the halter on. If your horse, like, if you're grooming or you're tacking up or you're just riding and you're petting the horse or you're touching him and they just flinch, they're just, they're shutting down. So they're like, eh, I'm not here. And then you, they, they've kind, you've kind of scared them. That's not a great sign. <laughs> so we want them communicating with you the whole time. It should be a partnership. It shouldn't just be do this and carry me around. It should be, oh, can we turn right? Like, let's turn right. Are you paying attention? Okay, we'll turn right. And it should be a conversation the whole time. Um, so then uh, besides the horse avoiding you, he's just dis- disassociating with the information and with the environment, with you, just that same thing I said before was the lights are on and no one's home. So his eyes are there. He's looking at you, but he's just not participating. He's disconnected from everything. So those are not good things. We don't want that. Um, so I got all of that information from the article by Katie Boniface. I might be saying that wrong, but her article, how to tell if your horse was shut down. I wanted, I knew the signs and the things, but I needed to put them all together. And that was one of my resources for this podcast. My other resource is the Willing Equine with Adele Shaw. She had a lot of good stuff on her um, on her website as well. And then I did the Whole Horse website and their article, What is Learned Helplessness and How Can I Make a Horse Shut? How and How Can It Make a Horse Shut Down? So those are my resources for this um, podcast. Because I wanted clear definitions. I like I understand it. I feel like I have a hard time telling it to other people. Because I could see all the little body language things. But it's hard for me to communicate to others. I'm like okay this horse is shutting down. To me that makes sense. To others it doesn't make so much sense. So I can make sure I have all the definitions correct. I have all my things correct. And then these are all my resources. So anyways. That was um, Katie's article. Um, a lot of good things in there. Um, I just kind of pulled some of those ideas from there and then added some examples that I have seen that I think are really important to see. Okay, so another example I have of flooding as it pertains to like tying something the horse like I had in my previous example um, would be when I first got my Mustangs and I was trying to halter break. So um, at first I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I definitely wanted to use some pause reinforcement, but I was definitely more stuck on just, okay, if I can get the halter on, if I can get the horse to lead, then I can do all this other stuff. Everything will come easy, which is not necessarily true. But a good example of the flooding and the horse starting to shut down is I had been working with Atlas um, on haltering and he was pretty good at that. And then I was like, well, um, I guess the next step is just put the lead rope on. Let's see what happens. <laughs> because I had done that with Caster and Caster was much easier. I could just basically lead him. He wasn't afraid of the rope and it was pretty easy. So um, that did not happen with Atlas. Atlas is terrified of the rope. And I should have been like, oh yeah, he's afraid of the rope. I shouldn't just attach it to him because he's just going to run away. I thought... Like, I could just have him work through it, and he would just lead and figure it out. Yeah, that didn't happen. So, um, I had put a long, like, lunge line on the halter. He was fine with the halter, and he was fine with me putting the rope on. But once the lead rope was on, and I started, like, putting pressure on it, asking him to go forward, he, he just didn't have the skills to perform the behavior. He had no idea what that rep- rope pressure meant. 
He had no idea how to what, what I wanted him to do from it. And he was afraid of this long black rope that could have been a snake or just anything terrifying. You know, he'd been herded into places and he'd seen like the rope is like electric wire because he's in electric pasture. So it was all these things. And so he pretty much just, he's in the round pen and just ran away from me. And did, he's in the round pen. He was, he was okay. Luckily he didn't go into that crash through the round pen, jump away things. That's very, very lucky because it could have gone that way. So I'm definitely not saying that this was a good idea. I'm just saying this is an example and I will absolutely never do this again. Um, so um, he would just run around with this lead dragging, which you do see a lot, especially in Mustang training. Um, and he would just run and it wasn't like super intense running. Like he didn't run super far, but it was enough to where like he was sweaty and tired and you know, it was, it wasn't good. But the example I wanted to show was the flight. So he first took to flight and was running and then he would stop and he would just freeze and he would have his neck up and his body was tight and his nostrils were wide and his hind leg was cocked and he would just freeze. And he'd stay there for maybe a couple minutes. And then he would just go from that standstill into run. There was nothing else and there was no warning. There was just from what a person might think as relaxed into bolt. So I think it's important to recognize a shutdown horse, see a, rec- a, a shutdown horse, know horse behavior just completely beforehand and recognize these signs. Because to someone who didn't know be like oh he looks fine he's standing still but he was extremely tense like not relaxed whatsoever and then just went from a standstill to a complete run and he would keep doing that he would run some more laps he would stop and just freeze and he was trying to hide from it. he was trying to shut down like i'm not here it's not happening and then run away so again we did that one time we didn't do that anymore it took a lot of retraining to figure out, like, okay, let's touch the target, let's follow the target. Okay, pressure's not bad. You follow the pressure. He leads great now. But I should have never done that. I mean, again, I just didn't know anybody. I was, or, and I didn't know any better. I was just ignorant to it, which is why I have this podcast. So then everybody else doesn't have to make all these million mistakes that I did and scare the crap out of their horses because that was not good for him. And it was a big learning experience for me, but listening to a podcast would have been a lot easier. Like watching a video would have been a lot easier than, than actually having to do it. So definitely don't recommend doing that. I will not ever do that again, but it's a very good example of a shutdown horse or start horse starting to shut down or how it could go wrong. So I have one more example as far as flooding goes and shut shutting down goes. So I have a horse that's in training and I see him once a week, most of the time. And this is the saddling example I talked about earlier, which does not work with all horses. So this horse, I was not there for the saddling. He was a different trainer. He was there for months. Um, I don't think this person did the best job. I don't also know this person. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't know them and I wouldn't anyways. So, um, but he probably went through the normal put the saddle on in the round pen, let him run around until he's okay with it. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that because of the other things I've heard about this person. So um, he's still bad about the saddle and it's been years. And I think that's contributing to 
why he's bad about it because he's just having flashbacks to his first time with the saddle because it wasn't a positive experience then so why would he have a positive experience at at any point in time because the saddle was scary from the beginning and no one showed him otherwise ever so um he he would have that same kind of he kind of shut down tendency where he would just kind of just stand there and be afraid or he would just look at something and then just buck and the time he did it with me was he was in the round pen luckily I was not on him and I had put the saddle on him nothing strange or unusual just normal for him like I thought he was a little bit tense but he's kind of always tense kind of a thing um had the saddle on him he walked around in the round pen for a second I just asked him to trot he went from walking to a bucking bronco in about two seconds. And I hadn't seen a horse, a, like a saddle horse, riding horse, buck that hard. Um, probably in person ever and probably not in a video in a very long time. Um, but it was just like like you'd see at a rodeo, like all four feet off the ground. There's no way I would have been able to ride that. Um, like the he was all the way off the ground, didn't hit the fence or anything. He was very aware of the fence, so that was good, but not what you want to see. And and he went on for a very, very long time, which was also concerning. So he was bucking all four feet off the ground for many laps in the round pen, grunting the, the whole thing. And then he can, can kind of went down a little bit, but would do like buck jumps over and over and over and around and around and around in this round pen. And I would try to step in front, have him turn, nothing. Nobody was there. He was full on fight or flight. Like he was gone, gone mentally. Um, but that's just an example of, again, how the flooding is not good. The horse will shut down, zone it out, and then blow up. And I still don't know what caused that. So, and you're not going to always know that. Like with my horses, with my Mustangs, I use for examples, I've had them since the beginning. No one else has saddled them. No one else has ridden them. Like, no, they didn't go to the trainer. So I, like I, there was no things that happened to them that I didn't see besides prior to when I adopted them. So like, I'm sure they have some trauma as far as being rounded up and being in the trailers and being chased and things like that, that we have to work through. But most horses or most people, like you send your horse to the trainer or he's been broken already and then you get him afterward and then you have to sort, sort of figure these things out. But when the horse's saddle broke like that, they have this like trauma event and then they can just, something worries them and they can kind of revert. So I just wanted to kind of talk about those examples and, and things like that. But um, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, let's see, we did this. I talked about this. I have some notes, so I wanted to make sure I had everything. Um, I want to talk about suppression too, because I talked about that a little bit when I was talking about flooding. So suppression is very similar to flooding. It is, I have my notes here. Suppression can also come with desensitizing with where like an example I had with flooding, with saddling, all those things where the horse is afraid and cannot escape. So it can go with that. Um, it's basically suppression is any of those behaviors where you, you're stopping a flight behavior. You're stopping a fight behavior. And I understand the reasons 
for stopping those behaviors because they could be dangerous. Ideally, we want to stop the horse or slow down or kind of change directions before the horse gets over threshold and start showing you those behaviors. I get that all it's not always possible all the time, but the suppression is when the horse isn't showing anything which can learn which can lead to a shutdown horse because those fight or flight behaviors have been suppressed. So if I go back to my example with the um, lunge line and I'm desensitizing, I have my horse on the halter, um, I'm desensitizing and then I continue to desensitize until he's stopped. So then I stop. Then an example of suppression would be I am desensitizing my horse with the lead rope. He's wandering around and he's trying to leave. He's trying to, so I'm suppressing flight because I'm holding onto his lead rope and he's not leaving or he cannot leave. Then maybe he tries something else and he rears up and I grab on his halter and I pull him back down and I bang on the halter and I'm suppressing that as well. So I'm correcting that. So then the horse is just going to be more afraid. So, and unfortunately, a lot of people have been taught, like, make the horse more afraid of you than whatever it's afraid of, which is insane, really. Um, I don't want to run on any animal that's afraid of me and could be like, could be just run away from me at any point in time because they're terrified of me. That doesn't sound like a great idea. But if I was trying to get over something, but I was just made to go do it all the time, like I'm going to be afraid of that thing and I'm going to be afraid of everything and anything around that thing. So for me, like I was always afraid of the fire alarm at school for I don't know why. I mean, people are, I mean, humans are just naturally afraid of loud noises. So that's probably where my starting point was. Then when like you're in kindergarten and your fire alarm goes off, that's scary because you know, you're, that usually happens on the first day of school, which is a terrible idea. (laughs) Um, Like um, if I'm going to go to school for the first time, it's already scary. Like if you're in kindergarten or whatever, and you're away from your parents, or you're away from your mom, you're away from your home you're in this new environment and then the scary noise starts happening and you know, that's not a good idea, but that's beside the point. So if I'm gonna go with this example, I go to school, the fire alarm goes off. I'm terrified. I'm, I'm like six years old. I'm terrified. If I could overcome that by just seeing like little, like getting used to small amounts of noise, I could um, overcome that. I specifically probably haven't overcome it now and I'm an adult because I've been, oh, it's fine. You're okay. Go back inside. Now, like when I was in elementary school, I was terrified of like just being near the alarm. I didn't want to be near the alarm. Didn't want to go to school for a lot of times. It was bad. So I was just afraid of school in general. And then, you know, if nobody punished me for it, but if say, for example, I was like, I don't want to go to school because I'm afraid of this fire alarm and say, like, my mom punished me for it, I would be afraid of her as well. She didn't. But I'm just saying, with the context, like, you're still afraid, and you're going to attach all these emotions to that afraid thing. So if instead I had someone explain to me, oh, it's not, it's okay, it's not a big deal, maybe we should have some kind of alarm that's not quite so intense. I feel like I obviously understand the point of a fire alarm, fire alarm but I've heard other ones, like, more modern ones now that are just like really loud tones that aren't that like screeching, which is like you, you definitely will hear it and you will leave the building, but 
it's also not going to traumatize children. So I feel like that would be better. But a good example, that's going to be my example. Like I am still worried and like I reason with it and I rationalize it. And I'm like, okay, it's not a big deal. I still have like a bit of anxiety, but I'm also not a horse. I have reasoning abilities to do those things horses do not. So if I was like terrified of, like I am terrified of bees. If someone was trying to fix that, which I don't really want to fix. I just don't want to be near them, which is your horse right there. That's what they want to do. So they're like, I don't want to be near this. It scares me. And you're like, well, let's come over here and let's get you over it. And you're just going to kind of make it worse. And you're going to scare the horse. You're going to make wherever this is happening. So your arena, your round pen, bad. They don't want to be in there because the scary things in there. They don't want to be with you because you take them to the scary thing. So if I was trying to get over my fear of bees and someone put a bee on my hand and grabbed me and held me still while I let this bee climb on me, I would be freaking out. I would not want to be near that person. I would not want to be in that location. And I'm definitely still afraid of bees. Even if you did that to me every single day for years, I'm probably still, I'm just going to avoid the entire situation completely. So I feel like that is how the horses are with things. Like if I were to break it down, slow it down and try to fix my fear of bees, I wouldn't do any of those things. I would start by, okay, there's a bee on the outside. Like maybe I could look through the glass and see the bee. So for a horse example, maybe there's a scary tarp and let's just put the tarp in the arena. The horse can see it from his pasture and it's not a big deal. It's a there, he might notice it, but it's not a big deal. So same thing. Then next step, maybe I get closer to the glass to see the bee on the other side. So my horse Maybe I lead him slightly closer while he's in his pasture, his safe environment, and I bring him closer to the tarp while all remaining calm. Not too close, just just a little close. And then I give him a reward for being close. Then I let him go and he just does whatever. Then my next step would be that I go out near the bees so there's no barrier between me and the bee. And I, but I can leave at any time. So I just get close enough to where I feel comfortable and I can leave. And then I slowly build up my distance. So same thing with my horse. I bring him into the arena where the scary tarp is. And then I give him a treat for being close. We leave. Then maybe a little bit later, we come back. We maybe get a little closer and we leave. I'm not forcing him to do it. I'm just saying, here, can we come closer? Maybe I walk closer to it. Maybe he follows me. Then I reward him and I leave. So I build up to it until he can come up to the tarp and then I give him treats near the tarp. So I would be near the bee. I see that the bee is fine and then I can leave. So that's how I could build it up in a human example and a horse example. And you could do that for anything that's scary for your horse. There's just no need to grab them and take them and, and scare the crap out of them. So they're going to be attaching emotions to these things that they're doing and those can stay forever. So that's where you get that flashback for that horse that I have in training that's flashing back and terrified of the saddle still. That's where you get the, the, the other behaviors where they're just terrified of going into the arena or they don't like it or they're afraid of the bridle or afraid of this or whatever it is that it might be that they're afraid of. They're just going back to how it was trained. So um, I kind of went on a little tangent about saddling there because, I mean, it is important and it is something that can be that can go wrong really really fast and it's really important to most horses lives so we don't want to flood them with all of that and then make them shut down and they're still afraid because they'll attach all of these scary emotions and bad things to it we just don't want those things so 
that's where I got with that. Um, uh, flooding can work, yes. Um, I don't like it. I don't want horses to be exposed to it. It works because it teaches the horse to not respond to something. So the horse is either mentally, physically exhausted and he stops responding to it and it goes away. So, and sometimes horses learn that. They just stop responding to it, it goes away. That's not the best way to teach it. It does work. Um, but that's why you see it so much because it does work on some horses. But then in before it can, it can end poorly as well. So we don't want that either. But um, what else do I have? Um, okay, so we attach... They attach their emotions to everything else in the situation, and then we can just kind of get out of hand with that. We don't want any of that. Um, I want to talk about learned helplessness. So the definition is going to be a state of reduced response resulting from the animal's ability to affect its condition or its environment. So it's basically done. So there's um, like a fairly famous... Um, experiment. I don't know who did it. Um, I didn't do the research on that part, but I just know about it. Um, so they had a dog in a cage and it had like electric shock on one side. He'd have to like jump the fence to get on the other side. So they'd shock on one side and he would run away and jump over the fence and get to the side where it wouldn't shock him. So he would kind of problem solve to get away from the aversive stimuli. If the floor would shock him regardless of where he went, he would just quit trying. So they would have like a light and then it would show like, hey, this is going to shock you. And in the originally it was this side's going to floor, if it's going to shock you, he could jump this barrier and then it wouldn't. But then eventually they made it to where the whole floor did. So the light would come on, floor shock you, he didn't do anything. So he has become in a state of learned helplessness. He doesn't try anything anymore. They shut down. They don't try to escape. They don't try to fight. They don't try to communicate. They don't try to do anything. So we we don't want any of that. Um, we we just the horses can blow up. You can never completely trust a horse like that. So I have a quote to go along with this. Um, it's from Amy Skinner. She's a horse trainer. Has a lot of good stuff. Um, she says the bomb-proofed horse learns to shut out outside stimulus the human has the illusion of safety so that's that pretty much sums all of that up you think you're safe um and then the horse just switches and you don't have a safe horse so i think that is all really important stuff um i think that's pretty much all i have for that um really you can get into a lot of rabbit holes with all these things um because there's so much to each one of them. They're all kind of connected. Um, like, because you can have a horse that is starting to shut down. You can have a horse that's starting to go over threshold without being shut down. You can have a horse that's being flooded and then starting to shut down or starting, you know, to go over threshold. So there's all these different definitions, but um, you, you just you want to pay attention to the body language that I've described in my last few episodes know your horses know when they start going over threshold and start getting worried about things when they start going over threshold you've gone too fast or you've gone too far and you need to go back a step once we've we've went over threshold the horse that's being flooded the horse that's shut down is over threshold so we've gone past that point 
So we just, we don't want any of those things. And I think I've described a lot of, like, extreme behaviors as far as shutdown horses go. Where they're rearing, they're bucking, they're exploding, they're escaping. Um, Those things can come, but you can also get the opposite. Like I mentioned a little bit before with the lesson pony, they're just completely gone. They're zoned out. They're mentally not there. They're really dull. Um, They're just robotic is what a good example of that is. But um, I think that's pretty much what I've got for today as far as shutdown horses go. Um, I'll put all my resources and stuff in the show notes. Um, Like I did learn about it from different resources as well but just you know I read a lot of horse books and learn a lot of things because I'm like a reading nerd so um like I understand the shutdown horse and the definition of it and I wanted to have some some actual references for it but those are all examples for it was a little bit all over the place but hopefully you get an idea of what to look out for what to what flooding is what over threshold is what a shutdown horse looks like Um, and kind of how to prevent that, how to stop that, and how to just take better steps and slower steps to train our horses better so that they don't have any of those things happen to them, and so we both can stay safe and be happy. So um, in other podcasts, uh, future podcasts, I'll talk about how to properly teach your horse to be started under saddle and um, be saddled and be desensitized and learn to, I think I have an episode on desensitizing too, but just in more detail and try to just help horses and help us be safe too.